the scripture for today's sermon comes from John 17, 20 uh, through 23. Jesus speaks to us like this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God to us. Good morning, guys. That was a cheerful good morning back to me. I love it. You guys doing okay today? Uh, my name is Chad Kinser. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, if you're new to our church or uh, if it's your first time back in a while, um, I serve as one of our pastors, as teaching pastor here downtown. And I'm really excited to open God's Word with you today. If you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 17, the passage that uh, Katie just read. And uh, that's where we're going to be today. Here, here's what we're doing this summer. We're in this series we're calling Rhythms of Grace. And what we're trying to do is look at practices, look at habits, look at ways of formation that Christians have taken up since the resurrection of Jesus. So we're not trying to make up anything new in this series. We're not trying to be innovative. Uh, in fact, we're trying to be really old. We're trying to go back to the way things um, have always been done by God's people, the way that God's people have always been shaped. We're, we don't have to create a new wheel. i go, this is the key to unlock spirituality. No, actually, God has given us ancient paths, as the book of Jeremiah would say. He's given us ancient paths um, where the way is good and we can find rest for our souls. We're going back to these practices that Christians have taken up since the resurrection. And so today we're going to continue in that, and I'll conceal the practice we're going to look at just for a bit longer. Um, but if you would, please pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and we'll see how God would shape us in this time. Our Father, we want to today, best we know how, we want to offer ourselves to you. We want to offer our mind to you. We ask that you would renew our minds today. We want to offer our hearts and our affections and the things that we feel to you. Would you please help us in our, in our emotions that are confusing to us? Would you please help us in those places in our chest that we don't know what to do with? But we also want to offer those places that are more positive in our feelings things we're affectionate toward, the things we desire. We want to offer those to you and just say, would you, would you meet us in our desires? Would you meet us in our chest today? And we also want to offer to you our whole life, the way that we interact with people, our relationships, the way that we see the world. We want to offer that to you and just say, God, would you please help us to see the world and to operate down here just, just like you would have us. We ask this hour as we open your word, would your kingdom come and would your will be done in this room just like it's happening in heaven? Give us this day our daily bread, this very word. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, and we said, amen, amen. Well, I'll never forget uh, being 22, a young minister, full of zeal, fresh out of college, a church in Fort Worth, Texas, took a chance on me and offered me a job. My first ministry position, I was charged with starting a college ministry, a ministry for college students and young professionals. And so as I stepped in, it was, there was nothing sort of there. It was start this from scratch. And so in my mind, you know, it was like the world's my oyster. Like, here we go. Like, just, let's just make this up as we go. And so I wanted this to be different. And in my mind, it was going to be better than every other ministry that had come before me. 
because I had the insights to make it that way, so I thought. We were going to work hard at being uh, a community that were not just Sunday Christians, right? Like I wanted this to be a community that was welcoming for sure, a place of formation, but we were going to be a band of everyday Christians, a group of people who would sort of fight for the cause of Jesus in the world between Sundays, and we would share life and faith together. In my mind, as I saw it, revival and renewal for our little church was going to start through this group. We were going to sort of bring the kingdom of God in a way of power and insight that had not yet been experienced by the rest of the people in the church. This, was good. this, was, this ministry I was going to start was going to be really cool. Like, you were going to want to come to this thing. It was going to be cool. It was going to have cool people. It was going to look cool. We we're going to have candles and stuff. It's going to be cool. We were going to be devout for Jesus. We we're going to be after him. We we're going to be centered around him, anchored on him, about him. It was going to be a blend of like organic spiritual life where things weren't just so rigid and buttoned up, but also like this intentional formation under the preaching of God's word. And it was all going to start with a few leaders that I was going to train. I was going to pull a few people aside and train them on kind of a vision for the ministry and how things were going to go down, and then we were going to launch some community groups. And I imagined the kinds of people that were going to flock to those groups and fill them up. We were going to reach social influencers, right? Like we wanted the kinds of people that were sort of on the edge of their channel of culture, people that people wanted to be around were going to be in this thing, and then they were going to take the gospel to their little places of the world in that city. And so we launched that ministry and we had our first few gatherings, and I'll tell you, when we launched it, it looked absolutely nothing like I had imagined. The vision that I had cast, the way we were going to influence culture, the kinds of social influencers that were going to come, none of that was true. We had some growth in those first several months, and people were coming, but it's not the people I expected to come. We, we became a landing spot for the lonely. We became... This place of belonging for the socially anxious. We became this really safe place to nestle in and practice faith for those who had physical disabilities and learning disabilities. It was a group of people that would hardly talk to one another. It was intensely awkward when we had a gathering. They would hardly talk to one another except for my wife frantically bouncing around the room, making sure everyone felt welcome and connected to what we were doing and that they mattered and that they were here and that they, hey, you actually work at that place. I think that person might work at that place and we're trying to just be these speed dating connectors. It was amazing. This is a group of people that were really, really special. But they're not, they weren't the people that I had envisioned. This was a group of people that were beloved to Jesus this is a group of people that had been chosen by Jesus. But this is not a group of people that I would have chosen for myself. But this was the group that God hand-selected for me to grow with. These were going to be the people that I practiced my faith with. They practiced their faith with me. This is the group that God hand-selected for me to lead. This is the group that God had hand-selected for me to learn to love. And we were a group of people, to say it again, who would have never otherwise been together if it weren't for Jesus. We would have never otherwise been in the same room or even cared to be in the same room if it weren't for Jesus. We were there because of Jesus. 
We were there together with Jesus, just like Christians have historically believed. It's not just that we're there because of Jesus. We believe that he's with us and we're with him. And we're with one another as we're with him. We were there under Jesus. This was a ministry about the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. Because of Jesus, with Jesus, under Jesus. We were people there for Jesus. I lead out this way today because I want to say that that is community. That is community. This is the group of people where God started to teach me a a moment of legit confrontation between me and God that happened over and over again where I was impressed by the Holy Spirit with this question, do you love me and do you love my people or do you love the aesthetic that you've imagined and your curated kind of people? Do you love me and do you love my people Or do you love your aesthetic that you prefer and the curated kind of people that you would rather be with if you could choose it? It was a confrontation I faced with God over and over again. And I kept saying, I want to love you and I want to love your people, whatever they look like, however they come, and however this goes down. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore this practice of community as a rhythm of grace, we're calling the series Rhythms of Grace. We really do believe this is a sort of a beat of God's grace and his mercy to us that's been given to form us as his people. So here's what's interesting about this topic. On the one hand, it might sound strange that we're going to take up the issue of community and draw attention to it as a Christian practice. It might sound strange. Why? Well, because if you haven't noticed, I'm sure you have, Community as a word and as a business model is intensely popular in our day. It's intensely popular. So why do we need to talk about this as a Christian practice? It's sort of out there, right? Like coffee shops exist for community. Taco Tuesday exists for community. Local craft breweries exist to hydrate people toward community. And our our city is well hydrated. We are well hydrated. Gyms work to create fitness communities. The list could go on and on. So so why would we single out this as a critical aspect of Christian formation? Well, all that's true about community. It's really popular. It's a great business model. You can, like, write the word on a wall, and it's like, let's take pictures of it and put filters on it. All that's true, but I think it could also be said that While we're a people that are drawn to the buzzword of community, we're also less anchored in spiritual friendship than we've ever been. We're also more anxious than we've ever been as a society. We're also more social on media platforms, not with people, but with platforms, and we're not truly known in important relationships like we want to be. So there's this massive gap between our value for community, which would be high as a society, we value community. There's a gap between our value for it and our experience of it, especially in the kind of community that would be toward Christian formation. And so we're persuaded by buzzwords, but we're largely a lonely people surrounded by murals that tell us that relationships abound, but we're lonely. We're lonely. And so what's interesting here is it's not surprising to me that community would be really popular in our day. Like, it's, it's, that's not surprising. As I've thought about this, it's not surprising that it's such a popular business model. Why? 
It's popular in the same kind of way that everything else is popular in our world that belongs to God, but we just don't want God. <laughs> like, so we want justice, but we don't want the God of justice. We want dignity for every person, but we don't want God, who is the giver of life, who gives dignity to every person because he's their creator. We want blessing, but we don't want, as scriptures say, the blessed God. We want community so bad, but we don't want the God who has existed eternally in a perfect and holy community in himself. You see it? And so here's what's interesting to me. It's fascinating that the singular thing, the capital V thing that Jesus said would distinguish us from the world as his people and a sign of his kingdom would be community. It is the single thing of all the stuff that could distinguish us as Jesus people in the world and what the kingdom of God is like. He says it's going to be community. And it's going to be community of a certain kind. You know the passage John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By this one thing, there can be a lot of, you're going to believe certain things, you're going to confess certain things, you're going to live your lives in a different way, individually, but the one thing that will mark you, that the world will recognize there is a God among those people, will be the way you love each other. It'll be community. Isn't that fascinating? That the thing, he says, is community. So we need to pick up with me a few chapters later in the book of John, the passage that was read to start the day. John 17, this is a prayer that Jesus prays. He says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe me through their word. He prays, God, would they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In the glory that you've given to me, I've also given it to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them just as you have loved me. So this prayer in John chapter 17, it's got some choppy English, some choppy grammatical stuff in there and we'll, we'll break a lot of it down. But it's this amazing window into the heart of Jesus, what was most important to him, a window into his relationship with the Father. So if you don't know what's happening in John 17, it is sort of the culmination. It's the closer. It's the finale of the Last Supper. They had shared a meal together before he goes to his suffering. And then Jesus, in chapter 17, John records what's known as his high priestly prayer. The whole chapter is just Jesus praying what would have been the last prayer his disciples heard him pray had they not gone with him farther into the Garden of Gethsemane. This was what was on his heart. This was the beating of his chest. These things were the burdens in his heart driving him to his suffering. So he prays in verses 1 to 5 this doxological prayer glorifying God the Father. He moves from there in verses 6 to 19, and he prays for his 12 disciples. The whole 6 to 19 is just about those 12 that had been with him and that he was going to send into the world after his suffering. And then he ends the prayer, beginning in verse 20, our passage today. He ends that prayer praying for the church that would trust in him through the word of his 12 disciples, but would outlive his 12 disciples. He prays in verse 20 to say it plain for you and me. 
Jesus is foreseeing his followers in the world that would outlive his disciples, and he prays for us here. So this is a pretty fascinating thing. What's Jesus praying? I want you to notice a few things. The first is this. He prays for our oneness, our unity, three different times as our greatest witness to the world. Now, here's what's fascinating. This isn't an ambiguous oneness. He's not just sort of praying for a general kind of unity, right? Like, I love those people over there. Well, you do. What are their names? What are their stories? What about them? I don't know. I'm just a loving person. I love those people. He's not praying for a general ambiguous. He's praying for a oneness that you and I would have real people, real stories, real faces, You see, it's easy to be united to a people out of sentiment. I just sort of generally love people. It's easy to say that, right? But it's hard to be united to people, really. It's really hard to be united to people, actually. Real stories, real people, real faces, real quirks, real pet peeves. It's hard. It's easy to be united to people in a large room one day a week. I love these people. I love those people in the balcony. Oh, really? What is their name? I don't know, but I love their singing. I can hear it wash over me when I'm on the floor. You see, it's easy to be united to a people one day a week in a large room. It's hard to be united to a smaller group of people in a living room in the middle of the week. It's much harder. And this is what Jesus is praying for. This is the beating of his chest in his final prayer before his suffering for you and me, the church out there in the future from his moment. He's praying for boots on the ground unity. And he's even going to say, God, I'm going to give them my glory, the glory that you've given me, so that they would actually experience this. That's an amazing line. I have no idea what it means. But Jesus is going to say he's going to actually share his glory with us. The Son of God, glorified by the Father, glorified by the Holy Spirit, is going to give his glory. I think something of what he's saying there is he's going to share himself with us. So that somehow by his sharing himself with us, we would share ourselves with one another. Right? This oneness he's praying for. The second thing I want you to see, and this was a big one, so I want you to pull in with me. The second thing he prays in this prayer is that he wants our oneness together to flow from his oneness with the Father and our union with him. (laughs) This is massive, but I want you to pull in because this is beautiful. He wants our oneness together to flow from his oneness with the Father and our union with him. Pick up with me in verse 22. I'll show you what he's saying here. He says, that they may be one even as we are one. Okay, so we just, we got that idea. He wants our oneness just like he and the Father are one. Verse 23, he sort of repeats himself. I in them and you in me, speaking of the Father, so that they may be perfectly one. So just like God, just like we're one, Jesus is saying, I want them to be one, just in the same way. But then he blows the lid off in verse 21, that they may all be one, just like Father, you're in me, and just like I'm in you, I also want them to be in us. So he's praying for our oneness out there, but then in 21 he goes, I also want them to have the same kind of oneness with us like we have with each other. So just like Jesus knows the Father, I want them to know the Father. Just like Jesus knows the Holy Spirit, I want them to know the Holy, I want them to be in us as they're one together. This is unbelievable. So he's not just saying 
that I want them to have relationship with God. He's saying, I want them to know and enjoy the Holy Spirit and the Father in the same way that I do. This is his beating prayer before his suffering. There's a painting that I thought about this week. I came across it years ago as I was trying to kind of come down to a capture of what Jesus is saying here in this prayer, that, that we would be in him and in the Father and the Spirit. It's this painting by a Russian Catholic, Andrei Rublev. It's from the mid-1400s, the mid-15th century. It's titled The Holy Trinity. There's a lot of artistic liberty taken in this painting, and there's stuff here that we don't have time to talk about. But the essence of what he's trying to show is the community of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they're sort of in order there from right to left. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's trying to show their oneness and yet their distinction. The triune God, the complex mystery of three yet one. And so if you notice, the Son and the Holy Spirit also are on the same size of thrones as the Father. So they're all sitting on the same size of throne. They all have halos around their head. So as to suggest the co-equality of the Trinity, that the Spirit and the Son are not less God than the Father. They're the same kind of fullness of God as the Father. The co-equality of the Trinity. But he also shows the distinction there, the threeness of the Trinity, where the Son and the Spirit have their heads bent toward the Father and their hands on the table as if to say, we're in submission to your will. There's the mutuality of the Trinity, their oneness together, the way they glorify one another. Above the Father, you'll notice there's a house, and it's the idea that the Father, God the Father, we understand something of the hospitality and the provision of God. Jesus is gonna say, you know, in his final words that my Father has many rooms in his house, and I'll go prepare a place for you. But then above the sun, you'll notice there's this tree. It's the tree of life. The idea that it's from him flows life, but it's also the wood of his suffering that brings life to many. And then above the Holy Spirit there, you'll notice a rock. And it's the idea that the Holy Spirit brings the power and the presence of the kingdom of God to the world. There's so many layers to what's happening here. But maybe the most beautiful part of this painting, and the reason I show it today, is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have existed together eternally in a perfect and holy community. Now you'll notice that there's a four-sided table, but only three sides are filled. And it's because what Rublev was trying to communicate in this Trinitarian image is that the observer of this painting isn't meant to only witness the holiness of the triune God and his community, but he was meant to enter in to participate and to have relationship. Notice the words of Jesus, if you catch this. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, I'm praying that they would also be in us. In the same way that the Trinity knows one another, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would they, the church, you, me, disciples, know the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the same way they know each other to have that kind of closely intimate relationship. The idea, now as we draw it forward, is that we would be so committed to learning and enjoying a kind of unity together out of the overflow of our unity and relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is also in the same kind of relationship with the person sitting across the living living room from you at your community group. That they would be one, that we would be one. Maybe even say it plain here out of the abstract. Relationship with one another 
is inescapable if we have relationship with God. It's inescapable. Christian community is about formation because it's, it's what it, what's happening in Christian community is we're practicing the presence of the living God who has invited you, who has invited me into relationship with himself individually. You have an individual personal relationship with God, but so does also the person sitting next to you, and so does also the person sitting across the living room from you on group night who you think who has nothing in common with you We've all been called into relationship with the Father now collectively with the same Father, the same older brother in Jesus, and have in common the same experience of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that what's happening in Christian community is brother and sister aren't things that we call one another when we somehow forget one another's names. It's what we are to one another because the bloodline of Calvary really has made us family. Christian community is about learning to be rehabilitated into healthy relationships that span across genders and races and socioeconomic standing because we really are family. Do you realize that you are more family with the believer in Jesus that you don't think has anything in common with you that's across the living room at a community group than you are with a brother or sister by blood who is yet not a believer? You're more family because an eternal bloodline has now binded you. You may not have anything in common with that person, but you will spend eternity with them. Community is rehab. Christian community is practice. It's rehab. It's a witness to the world from the overflow of our unity with God and his unity with us. Father, I want you to be in them just like you're in me, that they may also be in us, and we share that collectively. The third thing I want you to see here today, this is wild. Our community is an evidence of God's love, and I would add to that, for us. Our unity is an evidence of God's love for us. So I mentioned it earlier in the message that somehow Jesus has said that our love for one another will be a witness to the world. It will be sort of an apologetic. It will be an evangelistic tool. There is surely a God among them because look at the way they love one another. But I want you to notice what he prays here in 23. He prays that our unity would be a witness to the world also that God has loved us. Look at at 23. I in them and you in me so that that they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you've loved me. So Jesus is saying, somehow praying that our oneness together, our committedness to one another would show the world that God has actually loved us. So as Christians, right, we may be all kinds of things, and we actually are all kinds of things, often to the negative. (laughs) We're hypocritical. If you're not here, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I just want to out us. We're hypocrites. You already know that, but I want to out it. I'm not proud of it. I'm just sort of owning that we don't always live up to what we say we believe. We're imperfect. We stumble more than we seem to walk. We're repenting all the time for the same sins over and over. Can we get beyond these things? But this passage is saying, but may we love one another. The idea what Jesus is getting at here is it's as if the world's going to ask the question, how can those people love each other? hypocritical as they are. They've failed their God and they've failed one another repeatedly. How can they keep loving each other? 
They're imperfect. They stumble more than they walk. How can they, how can they possibly keep loving each other? And it's as if he wants the answer to be, well, they must love one another with all their warts, with all their quirks, with all the things that get on each other's nerves, with all the different backgrounds they come from, with the different races that are represented among them. They must love each other with all of that because God loves them. They're only practicing with one another what they've already seen first in their father. They love each other because God loves them. You see, here's the point I'm making. Who else could gather? Who else but God could gather such a ragtag group of people together like us? Who else but God would never otherwise be together if not for him? And who else but God could gather such a group together like us, ragtag as we are, and not somehow become guilty by association with us? Well, I guess he's probably not worshiping because look who he hangs out with. No, he actually gathers us together and doesn't become guilty by association. He actually becomes glorified by association because somehow his love is so great that it covers us such that he would call us sons and daughters, not guilty by association, but glorified by association. He loves them. They love one another, and all the while his love is shown off to the world as available to any who would come. To any who would come. So to draw up and conclusion and application today to say some things as plain as I can without the ongoing practice of Christian community you and I are not able to step into the high priestly prayer of Jesus you think about the fact that this is a beautiful sacred moment that we get to peer into the beating heart of God the Son before his suffering that would create his people. This is his prayer that they would be one without ongoing Christian community. You and I can't step into and obey this beating heart of God the Son. We need it. And there's different ways that community can look, but at our church, one of the ways that we try to capture this is through what we call community groups. Smaller gatherings where both Christians and non-Christians, Christians and those still exploring the faith, are welcome, all the same. Meeting all over the city between Sundays for the purpose of learning to share life and faith together. Together because of Jesus. Together with Jesus. Together under Jesus. Together for Jesus. And I want to make a distinction here real quick from something Charlie preached last week on the Lord's Day. Sunday, that what we're talking about today is actually distinct from Sundays, the Lord's Day, the discipline of the Lord's Day. Because what we're happening in Christian communities, we're taking the large gathering and we're putting it in a living room. We're taking the large gathering, what we're doing here, and we're putting it on a block. We're putting it with real people, with real faces and real stories that you can actually work out the Christian faith together. And so I know it's really popular in our context to sort of take the lowest common level of commitment, right? Like, what's the least I can do and still be a Christian? <laughs> what's the, the least I can participate, participate in and still be considered a genuine disciple? So, like, I do Sundays, isn't that enough? Like, I, I do Sundays, isn't that enough? Maybe to say as plain as I know how, just from what we've read today, you can't get around the invitation to community as a Christian. You can't get around it. You can't escape it. Like you, you, you can't escape it. You, you, you'll flame out without it. Without, without Christian community, you'll actually walk with Jesus and over time deconstruct. It, you were not designed to live without it. You say, okay, I feel the objections in the room. 
I hear what you're saying. I've actually tried community before and it didn't work. I've actually tried it and it didn't work. If that's you, I would say our team would actually really love to get coffee with you. We'd love to grab lunch with you. We'd love to explore your experience because there's probably something we can learn from it. But, but I would also say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, as, if, as if you can sort of create your own new path or your own new spirituality. Like community didn't work for me, so now I have this sort of me and God thing. And I use church for a bit of more reinforcements occasionally to have a bit more things to think about. But mostly I practice just between me and God. I would say if that's your version of discipleship, that sort of solo me and God stuff, that is a version of Christianity that's entirely foreign to the teaching of the New Testament. So whatever that is, it's not discipleship after Jesus because you can't escape the invitation to community. I father in them just like you're in me that they would also be in us. You can't escape it. And if it didn't work for you, say, like, yeah, but I try, if it didn't work, if it didn't jive, maybe because of the people you were with or your desires for community didn't manifest quickly enough, it wasn't vulnerable enough, it wasn't honest enough, it stayed at the level of sort of small talk, then I would say that what's happened is your experience of community that didn't work was killed by your Polaroid of community, as Bonhoeffer would say, your wish dream of community. Don't let your Polaroid kill the invitation that God's actually giving to you. Will it be awkward when you sit in that living room with other people you don't know? Yes. Our community groups are intensely awkward. They're intensely awkward. You show up early and you're like, ah, too early. Oh, I can't go back to my car now. They know I'm here. Yeah, but we're family because we're there together because of Jesus, with Jesus, under Jesus, for Jesus, and it's all clunky and awkward as if we know how to walk with the most high God. Who's a pro at that? We're learning this together. Maybe you're here and you would say, yeah, I tried community, but I got hurt. I got hurt. Totally legit. From day one, Frontline has sought to be a church that would be a safe place for people who have been hurt in church, which is sort of like what we do in the Bible Belt. It's like hurt people in church or something, you know. Our leadership would love to get a coffee with you and just hear your story and see if we could contribute to your healing. We'd be honored to process with you. But I would still say, if you've been hurt by community, don't chunk the holistic invitation of Jesus because of some painful experiences with other sinners. We, we are sinners. We're learning not to sin so much, but we still do. I think it would be healthy for you to remove yourself from a situation that was painful, but, but then start over. Actually, actually start over. The last thing I want to say today is that we're talking about community as a Christian practice, as a discipline. And the reason it's a discipline is because very often it will show up to the night of the week you're supposed to go to community group and you won't want to go. And you won't want to go for a variety of reasons, but if we could give truth serum to your entire community group, they would be thinking the same thing. I don't want to go. It would just be easier to just call in pizza and not go and deal with the awkward sofa, deal with the other person across the room or whatever be easier. They're thinking, I don't want to deal with you either, right? Everyone's thinking this collectively. Let's just let it out of the bag. But here's what I want to say with as, as the end. Community isn't about you. It's a discipline 
because you're not going to want to go. But you need to go. Why? Because it's not about you. It will grow you. You will absolutely grow. Christians have grown since the resurrection because of their commitment to community. It will grow you, but it's not about you. What do I mean? Well, because community is often seen as something that we receive. Like, it's just not meeting my needs. These people aren't like my people. Or Community is not about you. It's not about what you receive. It's about what you offer. It's about what you offer. You realize, no matter what you think of yourself, you are really valuable to God. His son bled to save you. You're a real person, a real disciple, with a real story of God's grace around you, his faithfulness, and you have insights into what God is like that your community needs. And maybe you don't get anything out of community, but you realize that there may be something about you bringing your presence there that would offer something to someone else in the room that just might save their faith for another week. It's not about you. It will grow you. It's not about what you receive, but what you offer. And there's some that you hear that and you go, oh, good, I'm so glad you said that community is about what I offer because I have a lot to offer. You're like on the other side of the spectrum. I'm not here to really receive anything, but I've got some insights. I've got some Bible knowledge. I've got some ways to correct the pastor's preaching on Sunday. And like, actually, I'm writing a book. Actually, you guys need to buy my book. Actually, that's why I'm here. And I would say for you, you're different. So like where some would say, I'm, I'm not coming because of what I receive, but because of what I offer, I would invite you to go because of what you'll receive. And if you think you're there because you have something to offer, it might do you good to see that the kingdom of God is doing just fine without your insights. And that people are still following Jesus when they haven't heard anything you had to say. And that that's actually a way of mutual upbuilding and encouraging that we receive and we offer and we give and we receive. You see, our groups take the month of July off and all of our group leaders in the room are going, thank you so much for a month off. My living room needed a break, I needed a break, we all needed a break. But in August, we kick back up again. And I also know that there's a large portion of our church that attends on Sundays that aren't a part of Christian community in this way. Sundays is sort of, you you can't escape the invitation to community, not because you're part of our church, but because you're a follower of Jesus. And so this would be a great time. Pick up a couple of weeks of information about groups, where they meet, some around where you live, where you work, where you socialize, where you play. Our community team will be at the back of the room as we're done today. But this is the beating heart of the prayer of the Son of God before he goes to his suffering for his church. I want to end today by just reading it again. He says, I don't ask only for these, but I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. Here's what he's asking, the Father. That they would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you, that they would also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory that you've given to me, I'm going to give it to them that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you've sent me and that you've loved them just like you've loved me.